Well, there's no denying we live in politically correct times. You cannot have an open debate about certain subjects without being accused of bigotry or racism. Immigration is one of those hot topics where no one seems any longer to be in any kind of middle ground. Former Prime Minister John Howard spoke about immigration and political correctness last night at the Centre for Independent Studies in Sydney, and this is a little of what he said. Now, this country has benefited enormously from immigration, and there remains a broad level of support for immigration in this country, but there is an argument that the current level could well be too high. And there's an argument it is having an adverse effect on things like housing prices and, 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 and uh, urban congestion in the bigger cities. We ought to be able to have a serious debate about this without people who are involved in the debate being accused of being bigoted or racist. But, but it seems that there's nothing in the middle anymore, uh, that you either have people who are in favour of... Um, uh, a big Australia that where you just endlessly add to our numbers by migration, or alternatively you are you are a racist. Now there's somewhere in the middle. When we first came into office a long time ago in two, 1996, we actually cut immigration in in our first term. Yeah, we did, and incidentally, some of the advice we had from our bureaucrats at the time was that it, it wasn't costly to cut immigration. In fact, it was the reverse. Now that seems not to be the case. It seems that the advice that's coming now from our bureaucrats is that, is that actually uh, having more migrants boosts our economy. I'm, I'm a little confused about that, but uh, just leave, leave that aside. But we cut it. But then later on, mm -hmm. when our economy was in a different condition, uh, we had very high levels of immigration. And the, the big takeout I took on immigration uh, particularly uh, uh, fury over our border protection policies uh, in 2001. It's a and tamper asylum standoff. Yeah, yeah yep. exactly. Is that the Australian people will always support a high level of immigration, provided they believe the government is controlling it and the government is choosing people on the basis of the contribution they make to the country. Now, that's been our happy experience, and uh, the Australia you see today is a product of that. But it, it ought also to be uh, a product of an environment in which you can seriously debate uh, whether or not you can cut it without being accused of being a racist. That was John Howard last night at the CIS in conversation with our next guest, the director of the CIS's new program on culture, prosperity and civil society. Dr Jeremy Summit joins us in the studio. Thanks for coming in, Jeremy. My pleasure, Miranda. So we heard John Howard. He was his usual charming, erudite, mm. lively self last night. And he made some important points about um, leadership, how important leadership sure. is in pushing back against what he called uh, once the culture cultural dietitians. That stood out for me. What stood out for you? Yeah, there was a range of, you know, really characteristically penetrating and insightful comments about a whole host of topics, everything from identity politics to political correctness to civility to religious freedom, but also immigration. And I think the immigration one really, really stood out because what he was saying was that, you know, there's this politically correct view that this is such a racist country that not only do we... Uh, protect the borders, but we also can't debate immigration 
rationally and reasonably because we, we are promoting racism. What he showed, and he drew on this lesson on the lessons of his own government, which is that if you protect the borders, you build public confidence in immigration. Mm. And there's absolutely, in a democracy, in a nation state like Australia, in which the people ultimately have the say about immigration, and they want immigration to be in the national interest, and that means that it doesn't harm anybody or in the already here or the overall characteristics of the society. That means you have to not only protect the borders, but have a full and frank debate about all the issues that pertain to immigration. And that means about the size of the immigration program, but also the composition, those important uh, cultural questions around integration. And But as soon as you say that, bigotry, racism... You get branded as a racist. Now, we've actually got a very good natural experiment. We've got the Australian experience where we protected the borders Mm -hmm. and public support for immigration grew and we've had a large, legal, safe immigration and humanitarian refugee program. Look at the the difference in... Uh, Europe, where we have a migration crisis. We have open borders, we, oh, the so-called open borders, that have led to a whole host of uh, political crises across, the, across, the, uh, across Europe. So the reality is that the people need to be, feel that they are in control, as John Howard famously said, of who comes here and the circumstances they arrive. Mm, absolutely. Now, it was interesting also um, he was talking about political correctness and particularly about identity politics. And I think you pointed out that John Howard was probably the first world leader in 1994 to actually identify identity politics as a problem. He was. He was the first to use the term minority fundamentalism mm. and that really means the idea that people who uh, who have a particular set of views about particular issues, they may be gender, they may be race, they may be uh, sexuality, they think that they should have the right to dictate what other people think act and speak about these sorts of issues. So, And the way they do this is often through anti-discrimination law. Those issues have really come home uh, to roost in the last few years. We've had things like uh, the Bill Leake case mm. uh, around Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act where people take offence and they think they've got a right to exercise what becomes... Um, effectively political censorship over opinions that they don't like. We've also had uh, concerns about the implications of same-sex marriage, um, more particularly around uh, anti-discrimination law, that the religious exemptions that... uh, for example, the Catholic Church has to employ Catholics in their schools and in John their, their, organi- yeah, their yeah. organisations. They are vulnerable to this new push around anti-discrimination law to try and, again, as I say... And what's really taking is it's, it's undermining some of our fundamental freedoms. You know, it's, it's the right to, to be able to think, act, speak as you want. That's integral to religious freedom and to the practice of religious belief. So these are the, this is the new environment in which minority fundamentalism, fundamentalism has got a new importance. And it's important for people who particularly want to push back against this politically correct idea that some people have got the right to dictate how other people think, speak and act. So, for instance, when the Qantas, the ridiculous story about Qantas saying uh, to its staff, you know, don't use terms like husband and wife or mum and dad because that's somehow uh, intolerant and, and, you know, exclusionary, um, someone like John Howard would have just stomped on that straight away or safe schools. He said straight away, throw it in the bin. Exactly. Look, that's the problem with political correctness because it actually does work because people are actually intimidated into silence because... It, it is. It's confronting if you say 
speak your mind and you were confronted with these accusations of racism and bigotry and all the rest. So what Mr Howard was really talking about was that, that we really do need strong cultural leadership on these issues that can give people a sense of confidence and also the cover that they need to be able to speak their mind. And it's not about speaking your mind in an offensive way. It's just trying to get to the point which we've always had in a liberal democracy, which is that people are free to live together harmoniously despite their difference because we try and respect the fundamental rights and freedoms of everybody. And, that, and of course, that includes the right to speak your mind about um, important social issues. And there was also some discussion last night about the sort of the long march through the institutions um, of the cultural left, but it's also really hit very strongly into the corporates uh, through their human resources departments. They've really been taken over. And, and yeah, I think John Howard made the point last night that uh, during the marriage debate, it was corporations that had nothing to do with their core business. They mm-hmm. felt that they they were entitled to come out and tell Australians how to vote. Yeah, look, it is. It's an amazing phenomena. Um, that's what I meant about minority fundamentalism coming into its own now. And it's it's really, you know, uh, you know, 20 years ago, corporates didn't get involved in sort of identity politics and diversity games. But this is the phenomena that is sweeping. Like, it's not even corporates. It's even sweeping uh, major sporting codes where mm. it, all these institutions are being, you know, politicised and are promoting all these, all these diversity agendas. Look, again, um, the question here is uh, whether people are prepared to push back against this stuff, realise what the stakes are, that there are some fundamental principles at stake. And what I hope that our new program will be able to do is to provide that sort of sound and sensible cultural leadership that people need. And we've also got to remember here that it's not just about talking about abstract rights. I ultimately think that what's really at stake in this debate is the quality of our society. Because, look, if we keep dividing up society and deal with every issue through the lens of gender or race or sexuality, we're going to ultimately end up in a very, very, very divided society. And I think that the ways that in in Australia we've traditionally tried to overcome our differences is one by respecting the rights and freedoms of everyone, but it's also been focusing on what we have in common not the things that separate us. And that was actually, I, I put that point to Mr Howard last night, that he, one of his famous phrases was, the things that unite Australians are more important than the things that divide Australians. Now, I think that if we don't try and get a handle on this identity politics and identity and uh, political correctness and push back, I'm afraid that we'll end up in a situation where we're actually more divided than we are by the things that unite us. You're listening to Miranda Live. I'm Miranda Devine, and we're coming to you live from the Daily Telegraph newsroom in Sydney, and we're talking to Jeremy Samet from the Centre for Independent Studies. Love to hear from you about this conversation. You can leave a comment on our website, dailytelegraph.com.au or go to our Facebook page or Twitter using the hashtag Miranda Live. Tell us, do you feel that you are constrained in what you can say because of political correctness? Do you feel that if you speak openly about some of these charged debates that you'll be branded a bigot or a racist? And is there pressure at your workplace uh, to be politically correct? Love to hear from you. Now, Jeremy, um, the occasion last night was, of course, um, a very auspicious occasion, which was the opening up of the new program of which you are a director for the Centre for Independent Studies. Tell us about that. Sure. Look, um, we've recognised that these cultural issues, because there's also this silence about them, somebody needs to get out there and start talking about the issues that are at stake. Uh, I fundamentally believe that unless we have the leadership that we need to sort of push back against the, these uh, 
identity politics and political recognition. We're going to be a more divided society. We're going to be a less free society. So what we really want to do is focus on not only what the problems are, but also what some of the solutions are. For example, uh, I'm really concerned that if we don't try and uh, protect religious freedom in a, in a more... Uh, in a much improved fashion than we currently have, those uh, anti-discrimination exemptions that allow our religious organisations to employ people who support their own faith, those exemptions will be slowly picked off. Um, we know that the Australian Greens are opposed to, the, to those exemptions. Uh, we also know that Australian Marriage Equality, as part of the Ruddock Review, has said that it doesn't support um, those exemptions either. So. We're interested in ideas like perhaps it's time for a Religious Freedom Act that will ensure that people are allowed to practise their faith, uh, uh, practise what they believe, and also that those communities can keep their institutions intact as part of what we've always had, which is a robust civil society in which we, we protect true diversity. So they're the sorts of things that we're interested in promoting. We don't just want to uh, talk about the problems. We want to be part of what the solutions are for those uh, really pressing issues. And again, this is not just about protecting the special rights of one group or the special rights of another group. It's really about the quality of our society. Are we going to be fundamentally divided over issues like religion and sexuality? Do we really want to go down the US path, which we've seen where extreme polarisation between you know progressives and evangelical Christians over issues like abortion? I really think that if, unless we find a way to ensure that we can live together harmoniously, peacefully, respectfully of the rights of all, despite our differences, not by trying to force people to all think and act alike, we will have a, a, a poorer society as a result of it. So what concrete things are you hoping to come out of your program, sure. which is called Culture, uh, Prosperity and Civil Society um, at the CIS? What, what concrete proposals do sure. you want to hope that yeah. at the end of your time you'll be able to point to? Well, I would say one thing is, I've mentioned the Religious Freedom Act, but one of the other things I'm really concerned about is the subjective tests of discrimination and offence that are in laws like Section 8. These are the sort of things that can really weaponise um, identity politics because if somebody, if you express an opinion, say about an issue like, say, Indigenous recognition, particularly in the workplace, and somebody doesn't like what you say mm. based on their race, they can take offence and you can find yourself as part of a, you know, both an internal disciplinary process at work and also as part of an external anti-discrimination process. Um, uh, case as well. Those, and the process is the punishment. The process is often the punishment, so mm. that encourages, um, it, it has the, what we call the silencing effect, that people won't speak out on, on these sorts of issues. And that's part of, you know, a fundamental part of democracy is people have got the right to speak and express their opinion about these things. So again, I would like to see a wholehearted effort to try and remove that those subjective tests. I also think there's a good argument for that. You know, once we were very, uh, in, in, in decades past, we had a very... Uh, we weren't. We, we didn't take offence about it. It was okay to make racist jokes, say sexist jokes as well. So it's sort of a subjective test sort of made sense. But nowadays, you know, we're much more educated. We're much more enlightened. I think we can sort of say we can have an objective test, the sort of what we used to say, the man on the Clapham omnibus mm. test of what's truly offensive. I think that would go a long way. Getting rid of those subjective tests would go a long way to to drawing the teeth of both anti-discrimination laws and 
Section 18C laws, and also avoiding this politicisation of race and the divisions that will ultimately come out of it, as well as uh, the uh, reduction in fundamental freedoms as well. Mm, be nice to actually get rid of some of these quongos, like the Human Rights Commission, but I'm sure that that's a little too controversial. No, no, that's on the that's on the list. That's on the agenda. That's on the list. But we're incremental change rather than holus uh, bolus at this point. Terrific. All right. Well, wonderful to talk to you, Jeremy. We've been speaking to Dr Jeremy Samet, who's director of that very important new program at the Centre for Independent Studies. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. Listener.